Well, we've been talking for some weeks about the words of Jesus where he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you. That is, take my teaching upon you. Let it, let it guide your life. Let it penetrate your thinking, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, that isn't a plausible statement for some of us because we've been Christians for a long time and we have found the burden still there. I'm thinking here of the burden of unresolved guilt, even perhaps shame, the burden of regret, regret for mistakes made, and sorrow for sins that still seem to hang on, that we struggle with. Tell he's saying, there's grace for that, and there is grace for that. And every one of us here would say amen. We all know it. If you're a Christian, you know it, and yet sometimes what your head tells you is true, your heart just doesn't seem to agree with. And so you can live with this great burden, this sense that God has not put away all your sins, that you have something left, a debt in your account that you cannot pay. And when you come to church, when you come to church, you're here to honor God and you love God. You truly do love God, but you have a hard time escaping the sense that, you know, you're really, you're really not much of a Christian. And what are you doing singing all these songs as if they fill your life during the week? You may even think that other people view you in that way. And so you can find yourself coming to church where you ought to feel at home, feeling anything but at home, instead feeling judged. It may be completely imaginary, but you still feel judged, and you feel judged by God. And so you look at your life, and you think of all the mistakes that you've made. You know, how many times have you been married? How many times have you vowed you would never look at that on the internet again, and there you are looking at it once again? How many times have you vowed that you would forgive and you still feel that hate rising in your heart? You know, how many times? And so you're aware of that and you come to God and you say, Lord, I love you. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, <laughs> great Christian, I am. And the thing is, even though the Lord says, my burden's light, sometimes when we don't completely grasp his teaching, it seems to add to the burden because the thought goes through your mind, well, it's, it's really a terrible thing to do what I've done and fail where I have failed. But all the more so is it a terrible thing when I do it after having come to know Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I ought to know better. I ought to do better. And so the very gospel that leads you to Christ and is supposed to give you hope can become a club for your toxic conscience to beat you with. Some Christian you are. Now you've really gone too far. Before you knew Christ is understandable, but now you know Christ and look, look at how far you fall short. And so sincere believers can often find not comfort, but unease when they pray, when they go to church, when they seek to serve the Lord. So what about that? Jesus says, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. What about this burden of unresolved guilt, of shame, of self-condemnation? What about that? I want to read to you a passage that has meant so much to me in my own life. A year or so ago, not quite a year, but in Ardeos, which is our program to teach and train people to lead life groups and other small groups through our church. In Ardeos, I took this very passage from Luke chapter 7 and worked through it, trying to show some of the nuance that's here, nuances that are often missed. And what I'd like to do this morning is to go through this passage with you. Because I think it speaks to the very problem I've just outlined a moment ago. And if we can take it to heart, then it unburdens our heart. And then we find more fully that our faith in Christ brings us rest. So in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, it says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, this might seem like it was a generous invitation, but what's really going on is this Pharisee, whose name was Simon, wants to check Jesus out. This young rabbi has been making a lot of news, and he wants to know if he is truly of God or not. Is his teaching of God? He may have heard some things about the grace that Jesus offered sinners, and he might have worried that it was lowering the standards just a bit. So he invites him over to his house, and Jesus accepts the invitation, and there they are, and it may seem like it's a private dinner, but it's really not, because when you had personages like this leading Pharisee, he was probably a leading Pharisee in his community, and Jesus These were often public gatherings. So you'd go into the house and the door leading out into the street would be left open and people would come and they would stand at the doorway and they could listen into the conversation. This was a semi-public event. Now, you weren't supposed to make a nuisance of yourself by talking while the dinner conversation was going on. You had to be there still and silent. So Jesus is there The people gather around the door, and then a woman barges in. Look what it says. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. We're not told what her sin is. That's important, by the way. It's this term, who lived a sinful life. That's like a label put over her whole life. She lived a sinful life. She is a sinner. We don't know what it is. doesn't matter what it is. We just know she's a woman with a reputation. She's not the type of person that's supposed to be gathering at this August event, but there she is. And it says, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, 
kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So how does she get so close to Jesus? She gets so close because she presses through the crowd and she enters the dining area and she kneels there behind Jesus and there she is at his feet. The presumption of this woman. She had no business injecting herself into this event and yet there she is. She's coming for, well, we don't quite know what at this point. We know that she's heard of Jesus. And as the story unfolds, it becomes clear that she knows something about his teaching and she sensed something about the love that moved him because she is moved by love for him. He's touched her life. He's changed her life somehow, some way to where where she ignores or at least pretends to not notice the hostile glances that are thrown her way. She presses through the crowd, people thinking, what is she doing? Maybe there was a murmur. Who does she think she is? Of all people, of all people. And then it says she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She was surprised as the tears flowed down her face and splashed on his feet because she had no towel to wipe them away. So she quickly reached up and she undid her hair, something no decent woman at that time would have done in public. She undoes her hair and uses her hair to wipe his feet. She anoints his feet with the perfume and kisses them. An intensely intimate moment, a moment that made everyone in the room uncomfortable. This is not how a woman should behave. Everyone was uncomfortable, except perhaps this woman, and certainly not Jesus. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Surely, if he's really of God and he knows what a life she has lived in the sinfulness of this woman, he'd have nothing to do with her. He would have some appropriate boundaries. He he certainly wouldn't behave in a way that suggested to her that all was okay with her. And that, and that she could approach him in such a manner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, turns to the woman and looks at her, but says to Simon. So here's Simon to the side. Jesus is looking at the woman. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house 
you did not give me any water for my feet, which was a customary courtesy when someone travels the dusty roads in sandals, as they all did at this time and place. You didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Another common courtesy. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. Once again, common courtesy. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. For whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I remember the very first time this passage gripped me. It gripped me and it changed my life. I was reading it in the New American Standard Version. And the way it reads is, her sins which are many, have been forgiven. There was something about adding that clause right in the middle of the sentence that accentuated the point. This woman's sins, which are many. Did she deserve the title sinner? She most certainly did. Did she earn her reputation? Well, in large measure, she must have. This woman whose sins are many, has been forgiven. How does Jesus know that? Because he sees the love in her heart as she comes to him. She's not forgiven because she loves. She loves because she's forgiven. And she comes to the Lord with this love, wanting to pour it out upon him. That perfume is like the pouring out of his heart or her heart. And she, she wants to give all to Christ that love tells you her heart's been changed. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. People like Simon, who are religious but not spiritually serious, they know nothing about that kind of forgiveness because they don't think they need it. And so they're not forgiven much, if at all, they don't love Christ. They don't love God. Not really. They can't understand the passion of a woman like this weeping at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus says something that to me is surprising because we know that as she weeps and wipes his feet and pours perfume on them and kisses them. This is an expression of love. But then look what Jesus says to her. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, to me, those last words of Jesus are a tell that more is going on here than the expression of love. 
Here is this woman who has been forgiven much and therefore loves much, and yet she needs this reassuring word from Jesus that says, your sins are forgiven. They truly are. Now, Jesus looks at her and he recognizes that her expression of love, this act of worship, was genuine, but he also saw along with that genuine love was the unease. She had lived a sinful life. There was a lot of baggage there. How many regrets might she have? So he had to reassure her, your sins really are forgiven. Your faith really has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. See, it's entirely possible in fact, not all that uncommon for people who love Christ to genuinely reach out to him in a worship service like this or in prayer or at other times out of love and yet never feel the comfort of being loved and accepted by God. That is, they feel like there's something still so wrong with them that the Lord can't be involved in their lives. There's a barrier there. But what Jesus makes clear, it's not a barrier that God has put there. It's a barrier we've put there. It's, it's like when you go outside and you see clouds, clouds we have not seen for a month. I mean, boy, there is something about that blue Texas sky in July. It will just beat you down. But we're praying for clouds. So you go out, and when there's a cloud that hides the sun, hides the sky, hides the stars at night. When there are clouds that are gathered, they don't lower from the heavens. They rise up from the earth. The clouds are, you might say, the perspiration of the earth through evaporation that it rises. And in the same way, we, we, feel this barrier between ourselves and God, even as we want to love, excuse me, want to love God freely, and we do love God, it's not without this, this, this unease and this sense of self-condemnation. Jesus says to this woman an encouraging word, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. And then he gives a blessing, which is also a command. Go in peace. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about preaching to yourself. This is where it comes in. In fact, it was this passage that first started me personally in my own life on the trek to recognizing that feelings are not facts. And that is a phrase I have used Again and again in my own life, feelings are not facts. What Jesus tells this woman is, your feelings are not facts. Your love is genuine, but your guilt is gone. You are forgiven. Go in peace. That's a command. It's a command that can only be obeyed when you start preaching to yourself. I may not feel like I am forgiven, I may not feel like my past is under the blood. I may not feel that way, but that is the truth. And I am forgiven, and I can 
worship my God without thinking that God has a laundry list of my faults that he's reviewing at that very moment. Do you follow? Feelings are not facts, and we have to start telling ourselves the facts, the truth, preaching the gospel, recognizing that when you put your faith in Christ and you trust him to be your savior, he really is a savior. He really does cancel out sin. Now, you might say, but, but there, are, there are so many things I've done. I've, I've hurt other people. No doubt, no doubt. And you know, there's an important place in our lives for making amends when we have hurt people. But we need to make amends not as people burdened with guilt trying to buy forgiveness, but as people recognizing that God has forgiven us, that we have value, we don't have to feel the shame of every mistake we've made, and then because we love God and because we want his ways to prevail, we seek to make amends, we seek to undo the damage, but we do it as people who've been liberated. And so this woman is to go in peace. That is my message to everyone here this morning. It's not really my message. I mean, I think it's the gospel. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, that's not just a truth that's, that's always true for everyone all the time. It's a truth that becomes true as you put your faith in Jesus. It's not just everyone who can say, oh, yes, God has forgiven my sins. No, Jesus is the Savior. There has to be a turning from doing things your own way and to turning to Christ and finding forgiveness in him. He's the one who bore our sins on Calvary. He's the one who has carried them away. And that's what we must do. And sometimes, sometimes I want to pull my hair out. I'm thinking, how can people know this? In their heart of hearts, know this and not do something about it. And if you're here and you know this to be true, and yet you have not yet truly given your life over to Christ, why not today? Why not? There's no good reason. God sent Jesus Christ not to condemn you, but to save you. You can find life in him. And for every believer that's here, it's time to believe. We say we believe, it's time to believe. And when your feelings don't seem to be registering the truth, remember, feelings are not facts. This woman loved Christ and worshiped him out of love, and yet she needed the reassurance. You may be the same way, Know that God sees you. God loves you. God knows. If you're a believer, he knows you love him. But he's not holding your sins against you. You need to know that and believe it. Would you pray with me? Lord, I don't know why this is so hard for us to believe. Maybe it's because we're so used to holding one another accountable and so slow to forgive one another that it's hard for us to believe that you would truly forgive us. But Lord, we all need forgiveness. 
Our sins, which are many, need to be removed. And we thank you that through Jesus Christ, you have brought that to pass. There's grace for that, and we're so grateful that there is. And Lord, may you lift from every Christian heart that condemnation, Lord, that holds them down. May there be, Lord, peace. May they find rest, each one who's struggling with this, rest for their souls. And may everyone here who needs rest, who needs the burden lifted but doesn't know Christ, may you give them the grace to repent and put themselves in your hands now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.